Welcome to the Faith Today podcast, conversations inspired by Canada's Christian magazine. I can't imagine how hard it would be to be a person of faith involved in politics. John Malloy is a former MPP and Ontario cabinet minister who is now director of the Centre for Public Ethics at Martin Luther University. He's just written a book called Politics and Faith in a Polarized World, a Challenge for Catholics. John is a lifelong practicing Catholic, and this book is really helpful for any person of faith who wonders why everyone dislikes us so much, or thinks about getting involved in politics, or wonders how the church could do a better job uh, and not be our own worst enemy when we get involved in the public square. I'm Karen Stiller. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, John. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So, John, in our family, we talk about, and we love to talk about, politics and religion at the dinner table at the exact same time, mixing them all together and having really fun, loud suppers. And on the back of your book, it says, can faith and politics ever mix? So can they? Should they? Well, I guess uh, the answer to should they is I believe they should, um, but I unfortunately may be a bit of a minority in Canada these days where the idea of faith and politics having anything to do with each other. And let me be clear, I'm not talking about one faith group imposing their views on the rest of society. I'm just simply talking about a conversation. A lot of people say, no, you, you know, Malloy, you're, you're a Catholic. What you do on Sunday mornings for an hour is your own business, but leave your faith there. And no pun intended, for heaven's sake, please don't bring it to the political world. It's the last thing we need. But John, everybody has some kind of guiding inner philosophy, right, that is impacting their values or how they think about certain issues. So how is faith different from that? Well, exactly. And that's the point I try to make in the book is that we all have something to contribute. And for a large proportion of Canadians, their identity is formed by a faith tradition. And when they want to contribute to public debates and public discussions, why not hear from them from that perspective? Why tell them that they, they, they can't live up to their identity? It makes no sense. And yet, unfortunately, it's always characterized as being negative. The idea of, of a person of faith offering a view or trying to join the conversation. Yeah. In the recent election campaign period that oh, we've just come out of here in Canada, the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, who publishes the magazine Faith Today, and that's this podcast, ran some, of course, nonpartisan Facebook ads, basically promoting an election kit, which again was nonpartisan, at the heart, encouraging people to vote and be involved in the way that you just summarized, basically. And the Facebook ads included a short little poll about, you know, what what are your top issues as Christians and so on. It was really amazing to see the comments on these Facebook ads going out into the world that were just incredibly negative. And I think some members of our team were shocked, actually, and just felt like we are hated <laughs> out there. That's what it felt like. And I just can't help but feel that is the feeling sometimes. Can you help us understand how people of faith have become so reviled when it comes to having a political opinion or a say? 
I think there's blame to go everywhere. <laughs> Our religious literacy is very, very low in, in Canada and certainly amongst the media and the, the pundits and the chattering classes. The idea that uh, faith has anything t- positive to bring to discussions, and I say positive in the sense of not being against something, but being for something, wanting to talk about the poor and the marginalized, wanting to talk about the environment, wanting to talk about our responsibilities to each other. The fact that faith communities and people of faith are out there doing great work, welcoming refugees, running soup kitchens, raising concerns with elected officials about affordable housing or <clears throat> the state of environment or what's happening uh, in the schools and how they can be improved. That all gets lost. And people start to, and as I say, the media and the pundits start to define uh, faith and people of faith as being a group of sort of sour looking people, usually not that bright, who are obsessed with issues around sexuality and reproduction, who want to impose their views on the best of the world, rest of the world. They're usually also characterized as, as homophobic. And that's it. That's the beginning and the end of, of the discussion. So I think it's the fact that, that people don't understand that faith has a lot to contribute, that it has wisdom that goes back hundreds, thousands of years, that it's thought through a lot of these issues that we have experiences in our own community that we want to share. We want to be part of the conversation. That, And it, you know, as I said a few minutes ago, that doesn't mean we want to impose it, but at the same time, we want to be heard. Now, as I said, does it, does it go around uh, the blame? Yes. It's not just society. It's also the fact that we are caricatured as these sour people obsessed with a few hot button issues. And guess what? Sometimes we come across and sometimes we act like a group of sour people obsessed with a few issues. I point out, and I mentioned this in the book, as a politician, I was elected for many years and fought three campaigns. I would knock on thousands and thousands of doors and would never hear about the poverty, about issues around poverty. I would never hear uh, about a variety of social justice issues that, that should be of great importance to people of faith. When I would encounter someone who was coming at this from a faith perspective, they would just focus on those one or two issues. And, you know, who's loudest in the media? Those who focus on these one or two issues. So I think there's blame to go on both sides, a society that doesn't really understand religion and understand that it can be a positive force. And sometimes religious people who just get stuck in this narrow group of hot button issues. And I'm not saying they're not important issues, but boy, there's a whole bunch of other issues. And you know what? In my mind, and I argue this in the book, they're all connected. If you're concerned about life issues, in my mind, that may start a conception, but boy, that goes through to the child who's struggling in school, the child who's going uh, without lunch or breakfast, you know, through to people who are, who are living in poverty, who are struggling to find a job, the environment, all those are life issues as well. And I think uh, uh, Christians and, and people of faith in general need to start connecting those dots. So how do we do it better? I, I mean, I, I agree. And I think that's uh, that kind of horrible reputation or um, response that we get is something shared between Catholics and evangelicals, I would say, typically. How do we restore our reputation? How do we engage better when we do engage? I mean, there's there's a long list uh, that, I, that I have in the book, but spoiler alert for anyone who wants to read it, I don't have a magic answer or the, uh, uh, you know, on... on Page 62, there's not, there's not three sentences that are going to solve this. I think 
we have to get our, our own house in order. And, you know, I would not be presumptuous to speak of other faiths, but certainly my own faith, the Roman Catholic faith, we do have to get our house in order on, on a number of fronts. We used to be a voice for social justice in Canada at the national level. I quote uh, some statements from the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops in the 1970s, which which would be wonderful to hear them today. I mean, it's it's funny how timeless the types of calls to people of faith are in terms of uh, worrying about actually some of the issues that are on the agenda today, whether we're talking about Indigenous reconciliation or racism or poverty or the environment or how we treat our seniors. Our leaders used to talk about these quite frequently. They've stopped. So I think we need to get our house in order and start to to see these as calls of our church and not limit things to one or two hot button issues. We also, unfortunately, and again, I'm not going to be presumptuous and speak of other faiths, but, you know, the Catholic Church ha- is struggling with, with some, some big issues right now in terms of residential schools, in terms of how we've dealt with that issue, obviously in terms of uh, some of the scandals around, uh, well, the sex scandals, to use the vernacular and things like that. So we need to identify these areas where we have to work on, and I think we, we have to be open to criticism and to and to internal healing and healing with outside groups such as indigenous groups and I shouldn't call them outside groups many indigenous Canadians are Christians are part of the Catholic tradition or part of church traditions but how do we reconcile that internally so get our act together but then uh, start to to raise this broader range of issues uh, I speak in the book about how our churches should very much be forums for discussion and I realize there are limits. Um, we can't be partisan, but have a speaker series, have a panel discussion, educate uh, people in a, in a very honest way about some of these issues, and that hopefully will inspire them to go out and, and perhaps join a, in a political campaign or join uh, uh, with a movement or join with a faith-based organization to, to push for certain things. But we have to be areas or forms for dialogue, for discernment to understand what's going on, to understand what our faith says. Um, It could be really, really exciting (laughs) to be a member of a church in Canada today because there's such a call, such a desire for change. And we could be at the forefront of that. And yet it's either let's turtle, let's not talk about these things or engage with the world or engage in the world on on a few uh, very narrow issues. Yeah. John, is there a church group or a faith group that you think does it well now in Canada that can be a bit of a model? Well, I think there's uh, a variety of faith-based organizations. Kairos, uh, Citizens for Public Justice, uh, come to mind. There are organizations within my own church. There's a group that I've uh, become involved with. I sit on their advisory board, Catholic Conscience which is going out and trying to educate Catholics on their role in society, what Catholic teaching is, very much try to encourage them to get out and get involved in the political process. They hold seminars, and obviously with with COVID, a lot of it's been online, but they uh, made a bit of a name for themselves in 2019 when they hosted a uh, all-candidates meeting, which I think got about 1,000 people out in Toronto to discuss Catholic issues which when you look at that list, were issues like the environment and poverty and a lot of these social justice issues that I've, that I've mentioned. So they've tried to broaden the conversation. 
Yeah. In your book, you had had a line and I actually went, you know, huh? And it's Canadians should want to hear from Catholics. And I thought that is so like counter what at least what we experienced recently, you know, on Facebook. It's like Canadians don't do not want to hear from Catholics or evangelicals. That would be my assumption. So tell us why Canadians should want to hear from Catholics. We've got some big problems right now in our country. The pandemic is, I think all of us, our jaws are on the floor, what we've seen over the past few years. Obviously, it's it's raised huge concerns about healthcare and how we take care of each other. But beyond that, economic inequality, the fact there's not one pandemic, there's been two or three pandemics. People like me have worked very happily at home while other people have have had to go out often for minimum wage and put their health at risk so that I could pick up some takeout food. I mean, it's just staggering that reality. What's happening with our seniors and the way we treat our seniors. I mean, that was laid bare very early in the pandemic. Issues around racism and the reverberations of what happened to George Floyd here in Canada, Indigenous reconciliation, and of course, the finding of the unmarked graves. A continued concern about climate, which has been made apparent with some of the disasters we've seen here in Canada and and around the world. So all these problems are out there. And as a society, we're grappling with ways to solve them. Yes, they have a technical side and we want to hear from the experts and the scientists and that sort of thing. But there's a real, and I'm going to call it a, a political side. And by politics, I mean and I'm, I'm quoting, and I quote from in the book, uh, an American, sort of a transplanted British theologian, Luke Bretherton. Politics, he says, is about building our common life together with friends, strangers, and those we hate. But we can get to that part in a second. But it's this building a common life together means that there may be some technical answers to these problems, but there's also some societal um, rethinking that has to go on about responsibility, about our priorities about how governments are going to address these issues, because guess what? There's no free lunch. Some may believe that. I mean, I, you, know, you, you can be as, as left-wing or right-wing as you want, but we're going to run out of money soon. So governments are going to have to decide what are the priorities, where are they going to invest time and energy, and it can't be everywhere. So when I do that big list of issues, and as a former politician, I go, Oh boy, we need we need society with us. If we want to make meaningful change in these areas, we're going to have to have society come along. We're going to have to have people agree that they're prepared to sacrifice something. They might have to pay a little bit more in taxes. It might mean a little less money goes to uh, the government service or program that you like. I mean, these are big shifts and big changes in lifestyle and mindset and all that sort of thing. My gosh, that's a that's an incredible conversation that we have to have. These are incredible decisions that we need to make as Canadians. And I look at our faith communities and I say, hey, everything I've just talked about, that's us. Um, you know, we are called as Christians to engage in good works, but also to make sacrifices. We're called as Christians to think about the other. We're called as Christians to see God in the stranger. Uh, not pay lip service, but to actually see God in the stranger. And, and we're not allowed to leave that individual at the side of the road. We have to be like the good Samaritan. And that's huge. And that's not easy. And that's going to require some real rethinking of how we do things in society. And everyone's saying that. I mean, this is what I find so frustrating. 
all the commentators are saying that, oh, the world's never going to be the same. We have to rethink society. We have to change our attitudes. We have to change our lifestyles. And yet people of faith are, are told you're not welcome to the conversation. This is what it's all about. Yeah. You know what, John, what strikes me too from what you said is that our very structure and form can be a bit of a model because living a common life together with people who are different and maybe people who you don't like, I mean, that's going to church, isn't it? Oh, definitely. I mean, it's the sense of community, worrying about the other, being feeling a sense of responsibility for the other. The founder of our respective faiths talked about, about loving your enemy. I mean, that, and you know, they're easy. They're, they've become, I'm sorry to say it, but they become platitudes, but put that into action. Good grief. Yeah. It's so <laughs> radical, right? It is so radical. And everyone's saying we need radical change. And I'm <laughs> saying, okay, you know, we have it. We have a public agenda that says we need radical change. And we have people that follow this radical guy <laughs> from 2000 years ago. Maybe they have something to offer. Maybe they thought through some of these issues. I'll touch on one of the hot button issues, medical assistance in dying. What was at the core of that discussion? Does life have meaning even in the face of suffering. And I've, I've given talks before where I've said, don't you think Canada's faith communities have something to say on that topic? And it is amazing that everyone in the room, even those who are, you know, really don't want to hear from us have to admit, yeah, you guys have probably thought about that. Yeah, You've probably thought about what it means to suffer and does life still have meaning when you're suffering? And yet again, I heard so many people not criticize the positions or the arguments that were taken by faith communities in the debate about medical assistance and dying, they criticize the fact that they were, they were involved in the discussion. Right. Keep your opinions to yourself. Yeah. You know, shut the heck up. We don't want to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. I'm curious when you were an MPP, you're a lifelong Catholic, I think. So did people know that you were the Catholic guy or did they treat you differently because you were religious? No, I mean, I think I, I was never shy about talking about my faith. I'll be honest, I didn't trumpet it all the time. I was quite active in my church as much as you could be as someone who is busy. I remember when I got elected, I said to my staff, okay, over the next X number of months, let's do an outreach to every single church, synagogue, mosque, whatever, religious community in my riding. And I remember one of my colleagues heard that and said, are you crazy? <laughs> What are you doing that for? And I said, and you know what? Many of them uh, asked me to come to their services, come to their social events, come to their, you know, their annual dinner, their their church bazaar. And I, I got to know the, the faith community. So I never made it a secret. And certainly, you know, come election time when the Catholic Register wanted to speak to someone about where the liberals stood, for example, uh, uh, provincially going into the election. It was often me who was asked to do it when there were Catholic delegations or Catholic events, if I can put it that way. Certainly, I was always invited to to be front and center. So I was, I had that kind of informal role, but you know what? I was, I was a busy guy and I didn't, I was never made it a secret. I was certainly never shy about it. But at the same time, I didn't begin every sentence with it Right, right. Uh, as I went forward. You know, John, I thought as just, again, watching this campaign, we just came through and um, also what's happened in previous ones, just how difficult I think it would be for a person of Christian faith, maybe others, but that's what we're talking about, to run as a politician in today's climate. It just seems like you would get extra 
stuff heaped on you. So how do we encourage people of faith to run for office if that's a, a good thing to do to enact change? Well, I think what we need to do is is ask people to think about their faith and how it applies to the broader world and some of the issues that we're talking about. I think, and I, you know, I'm only going to speak for for the Catholic tradition. Um, we we actually do have a fairly robust theology about the difference between um, issues that are dealt with on a personal basis and how they're translated into public policy in a diverse society, in a secular society. And I have no problem with us being in a secular society. I hope none of the the listeners or readers of the book think I do. I mean, but in my mind. It's an inclusive secularism, which which provides a, a voice for everyone. So, you know, uh, I think if you can go out and speak about your faith and how it's inspired you, how it has set an, uh, you know, I've, I'm hesitating to use the word agenda. Boy, there's a loaded word. But I, I mean, agenda in the sense that, you know what? Yeah, I, I joke. I can't. How bad is this? I can't remember whether I say it in the in the book. I think I do. The old joke about the. Uh, uh, it's always a bishop for some reason, the bishop who asked the politician, uh, what's his stand on crime? And he says he's against it. Um, you know, everyone's against everything that's bad in an election campaign and everyone's for everything that's that's good. But but where are your priorities going to be? Where are you going to put the energy? Where are you uh, going to make the trade-offs? And I think, again, if someone can say, I'm a person of faith, it's helped form me, it's my identity, it's how I look at the world. And you know what? When I get elected, um, I am going to make fighting poverty uh, top of the agenda. I am going to be concerned about the environment. I am going to be concerned about refugees. If uh, well, there's sort of a provincial dynamic. It's mainly a federal issue, but you know these are going to be my top priorities because I feel a responsibility. Uh, and yes, part of that comes uh, uh, from my faith. I think that you know if if people can present it in a positive way. I think that uh, uh, they could get, uh, you know, a fair amount of support. And, you know, I argue in the book, and this is maybe the elephant uh, uh, in the room, that when it comes to some of these hot button issues, as I say, there's a, there's certainly in my tradition an understanding that you meet the world where it is. And a lot of times issues, and, you know, I speak a lot about abortion in the, in the book, they've, they've become nothing more than ways of keeping track of uh, who's the good guy, who's the, who's the bad guy. No party in Canada today is interested in any sort of laws about this. I, I say in the book, I'm not even sure what a law would look like. So then, you know, to go back to a point I made earlier, if someone wants to say, I'm a Christian and I'm pro-life, well, that means a, a lot in my mind. And if we can start to define pro-life as not being simply pro-birth, but, you know, I'm going to worry about kids who are hungry going to school. I'm going to worry about the type of world that they're growing up in. I'm going to worry about families that can't make ends meet. And in my mind, that's going to contribute to uh, a, a pro-life, again, I don't want to say the word agenda because that's so loaded, yeah. but uh, a pro-life approach. Um, you know, I think it's a positive package. And again, it's we're always being defined by the negative right. uh, uh, people of faith. You know, oh, you you're a homophobe who wants to take away a woman's rights to choose. I mean, am I wrong? That is the way religious folks were described, certainly in the last election, and and certainly ten times worse in the in the 2019 election with uh, with Andrew Shear. And people know 
maybe they don't know who are tuning in. I'm not of Mr. Shear's party. I'm a, I'm a different party, but I, I still felt sorry for him that that was the beginning and the end of the discussion of how someone of faith can can come to politics. Yeah, that does not get you invited to a dinner party, let alone um, running the country, that reputation. It strikes me too that the church maybe has not done a great job of telling its own story, which is a story of so many issues like you have listed off at different times during our our conversation. So the public good that the church brings and offers, I know Cardis and other uh, different places have done some work on that, trying to actually measure that in some way, the public good of churches in Canada. So I'm wondering, how can we tell our story better? And we also have this thing of being humble. (laughs) It's true. Uh, Someone asked me at at one of the sort of virtual book discussions that I've had, I I mean, do we need to get credit? Do people of faith need to get credit? And I thought it was a good question because, you know, it does sort of run counter maybe to, to Christian thinking, but I see it as a, as a means to an end. I see shouting the good works of uh, organizations and faith communities and faith denominations, shouting those good works from the, the rooftops as a way of getting some positive attention to us, not simply to make ourselves feel good, but to, to get invited to the conversation. And we have to find a way to get invited to the conversation. And part of it is to walk the talk, as they say, is to to actually point out, you know what? We're worried about income inequality here in Canada. We're involved at the extreme end with a soup kitchen for people who are homeless, but we're also supporting uh, families who are struggling. We're we're dealing perhaps, uh, you know, I've heard of churches that are converting property they own into affordable housing. You know, we're trying to live out our faith and we want to be part of this larger conversation and we should be there. We should be part of it. There's absolutely no reason. We, we invite labor, we invite business. In fact, I think some of us find it heartwarming sometimes when you, you read in the paper that the head of a, you know, number of people from various labor unions are sitting down with a number of business leaders and perhaps there's an indigenous leader and perhaps there's an environmental leader and there's someone from the oil and gas industry and you say, wow, they're going to lock them all in a room and say, figure it out. Well, why can't we add faith leaders to, uh, or, and I shouldn't, sorry, I'm going to correct myself, not necessarily faith leaders, people of faith, yeah. people who are, are bringing their faith. It doesn't have to be the pastor or the bishop or the, the cardinal and it can be other representatives who should have a voice at that table. Yes. Thank you, John. As we wrap up, I would love for you just to share how your faith has shaped your life and your work and your calling. Well, I grew up with a a Catholicism, with a Christianity that I found very exciting. I was part of, a, I guess, an approach to my faith that was self-critical as well as engaging with the world and critiquing the world. So I've always been very excited about my faith and seen it as a, a means of making the world a better place, of building God's kingdom. And certainly that helped inspire me to go into politics. Politics, and I point this out in the book, and I suspect people are, won't take it that Seriously, I shouldn't say that. I don't know how people read the book, but you know, I talk about the personal side of politics. It's tough. It's very tough. It's tough on your family. It's tough on you. You can really lose sight of forget about right and wrong. I mean, right and wrong become become abstract things in your life. It's all about winning. It's oftentimes it's all about making it through the day because you're you're pulled in so many ways, you're criticized, you're it's so partisan, there's so much fighting, all that. 
And, you know, I try to point out in the book that faith can actually be a wonderful guide. It can be a comfort. It can be an anchor for you in political life. So it certainly can serve to attract you to political life. It can be an anchor on the personal side, which is very important. I mean, we've we've seen all sorts of stories of politicians who have really struggled. So, you know, the faith aspect is very important. And then it sets this, and I I'm, I'm, should have thought, you know, consult the thesaurus for another word other than agenda, because it, agenda is such a loaded word, but it's the one that comes to mind. It set the types of priorities that I wanted to deal with as a politician. And I, I share in the book that when I was at Queen's Park, there was a group that got together. And there's a reason why I stress this. They were primarily women MPPs, and they formed something called the Women's Caucus. And I never missed a meeting of the Women's Caucus. And we started to talk about poverty. And what came out of that was a push to the government that they should make poverty a priority. We saw uh, funds being devoted to fighting poverty. We saw legislation passed uh, mandating governments to have a poverty action plan. There was a minister that was put in charge of uh, dealing with poverty. There was a cabinet committee on poverty that was put together. And ultimately, I was made Minister of Community and Social Services, which was one of the main ministers dealing with poverty. That all I can trace back to, to, to my faith and the fact that that was a central call that I grew up with is we've got to help. We've got to start with the poor and that preferential uh, option for the poor. So, you know, my faith is, has, has helped me. It's guided me. It's been an anchor. Have I stumbled all the time? Good grief. You could write another book on all the times I haven't lived up to my faith, but at least there was, there was something there outside of the political world that I was accountable to. Good grief. When you're inside the political world, I, I'm, you know, please enter politics, get involved. I'm not trying to be a, a negative commercial for it, but you know, the accountability becomes how many seats did we win? How many votes did we get? And if that's your only accountability, boy, you're going to get lost really fast. John, thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. Check out more podcasts and subscribe to Faith Today magazine for free at faithtoday.ca. This podcast is produced by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. If you enjoyed it, please rate or share it.